0: Be happy to welcome to the program today, Eighth District Congressman Stephen Lynch, for an update on what's happening in our nation's capital. And uh, Congressman, it's it's great to virtually uh, chat with you again. Appreciate it. Good morning, Joe. Good to be with you. It's been a little while uh, since we've had an update uh, from yourself, so I thought it'd be a good time to check in here midsummer and to see what's uh, what's weighing on your minds. Okay, we've got a, a lot going
1: on. We're trying to wrap up. Uh... Uh, the session before the August uh, work period. Uh, but again, we're we're racing against the clock. There are a number of uh, appropriations bills that we're trying to get approved. And there's some major legislation uh, that's been piled into this last couple of weeks. So uh, mostly in the financial services area, but we've got an assortment of, of issues that we're trying to tackle here in a very short period of time.
0: Yeah, I know a couple I'd I'd hope to talk about today, um, including the student loan forgiveness uh, issue, inflation, climate change, immigration. But before we delve into any of that, I always like to kind of ask, what is pressing on your mind, Congressman? What kind of keeps you up at night uh, specifically with the issues here in the district? Well, you know, I I have a
1: coastal community, including the beautiful city of of Quincy, but I, I represent all the way from the north end in Boston all the way down the coastline, down to Hingham. And so climate change, sea level rise, uh, stronger storm systems, um, and the fact that we're sort of behind on that in terms of infrastructure uh, is really something that I am I feel like we're behind on. And uh, so a lot of my priority projects, grant proposals, things like that, have really tried to focus on those coastal communities, including Quincy, I work very closely with, uh, Mayor Tom Cole, we're doing a, a few sea walls around town. We're also uh, looking at expanding the protections that we have for many of our vulnerable neighborhoods um, along along the water. So um, so we're working on that. Um, we, did, we were successful on a number of uh, earmarks for the city of Quincy. Uh, we're working on the the parking garage. We've got uh, some money coming for uh, uh, public safety. Things like that. And, and as you know, there's so much going on in Quincy. Um, you know, Mayor Koch's doing a great job. And we have a, a a full menu of of things going on. So we're trying to keep up with all of that. The transportation issue, obviously, a, a huge one with the red line. We're just concluding uh a lot of the uh renovations we've done in in the three of the Quincy stations. So uh hopefully we get back to a a better rhythm um, with respect to, you know, commuter travel uh, on the Red Line. But uh, I've got also wider I- issues. Uh, other other towns uh, south of Quincy, like Hull, that is actually part of the town, is below uh, sea level. So uh, we've we've done similar things in Hull that we've done in Quincy with the seawall infrastructure. A lot of this stuff has been built uh, decades ago and uh, has not been restored. Uh, the other piece is the sea level rise are even greater than the engineers anticipated back in the day. So some of these sea walls that were built around 1910, 1920, 30 in the Public Works Administration, um, the sea levels now are exceeding that. So we've got to not only rebuild the sea walls, but we've got to build them higher. So that's a that's been a real challenge. But Fortunately, through the uh, Jobs and Infrastructure Act, uh, through the American Rescue Plan, we've been able to, and, and the Chips Act as well. There was a lot of uh, uh, climate change resiliency funding in that. So, you know, my job is to try to steer as much as I can to my district. And there is a, a, a general uh, agreement here in, in Congress that these coastal communities uh, are the greatest ones at risk. So sort of the winds that are back in terms of uh, getting funding for that, those purposes.
0: On the broader issue of climate change, how important do you think uh, renewable energy sources are to dealing with that in the future? Dear Lord, uh, I mean, that's the key, right? We're going to have to
1: try to reduce our reliance on, on fossil fuels. One great piece of news is that we finally concluded a a an international agreement with Canada uh and and on a, a pathway for um hydroelectric power. It, this the interesting thing here is this is going to be a a bilateral agreement uh on energy as well as between our two nations. So um the the way this works is is that hydroelectric power will come to the Boston Greater Boston area, including Quincy, uh, our area uh from Canada. Um uh, but in return, we will uh, be able to uh, transmit uh, wind energy from our wind farms in Massachusetts uh, and 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 New England up to Canada during the winter months when they they are in greater need of uh, you know zero emission uh, uh, energy. So um, that's sort of the the secret sauce that made this work. Uh, both nations felt they were getting something out of this. Uh, the, this uh, power line will be there was concern about you know digging up uh, excavating areas that are uh pristine right now between Canada and and the greater boston area um but there's been an agreement to use the existing uh pathway that's been constructed there for electric so it'll be on road service roads things like that that have already been dug up you know decades ago so there won't be any disruption of of uh the
0: beautiful areas that uh, lie between our two countries. On that same note, uh, regarding infrastructure, do you feel that more investment needs to be made in the the grid, if you will, uh, you know, nationally to support this this these new sources of energy?
1: Absolutely. Uh, you know, we've we've just learned that some of the old cable that um, that some of these uh, uh, communication companies, telecommunication companies, were using had a lead. Uh, compound in it, and so now we're we're confronted with uh, the likelihood that we're going to have to have those uh, telecommunication companies remove that cable because it seems to be breaking down and then leaching into some of the waterways. So uh, we've got a we've got a real challenge there. But obviously, in the the new iteration of of those systems um, and and power systems, because a lot a lot of it is, is wireless, so we don't need those cables as much as we did in the past, but the new materials that we're using are much more thoughtful and, and, uh, uh, you know, uh, friendly to the environment.
0: I wonder if you could explain, Congressman, just a little bit about some of the federal incentives available um, for electric vehicle purchase. I think it's kind of a mystery to a lot of folks as to what vehicles qualify, who qualifies to get these incentives, um, and what that program involves.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a it's a moving target. I actually sponsored a bill to, um, you know, where we're coming up short on charging stations. So that's been a part of the infrastructure that has fallen behind. So uh, my bill, uh, we, part of which was included in the postal reform bill would uh, require the Postal Service to electrify all its vehicles. So okay. um, and, and part of that, obviously, they'll need to charge their vehicles. Uh, fortunately for us, a lot of that charging will occur overnight, and when the you know the postal trucks are in there overnight, during the day the trucks are all out, uh, you know, delivering mail and packages. So uh, those stations ostensibly would be available to the public. So so it increases that capacity. Think about if every local post office had a couple of charging stations or a few charging stations out front. You know, the general public could use those stations during the day. And, and still meet the needs of, of the Postal Service. Uh, the Postal Service has 287,000 vehicles. They're number two in, in our, our government in terms only behind Department of Defense in the number of vehicles that they have. Many of these vehicles used by the Postal Service are uh, quite archaic. They're old. You know, the, We've got we've got stuff that's out there that's 30 years old that should have been removed long ago very you know and they vary from the little trucks to the big you know uh, uh semis that you see rolling down down the highway so we've got to do a, a cre- complete reset uh, i did have a hearing with uh the postmaster general uh 2 weeks ago we spoke about this he said he's moving as fast as he can um and so he's removing the oldest trucks first obviously those are the ones that are you know and we've got a number of uh, social justice communities in our district. So you've got places with very, very high asthma rates. So we're trying to, you know, reduce the the emissions from those vehicles that travel every single day. They're, they're there in our neighborhoods every single day. They're on the streets of Quincy every single day. So if we can reduce the, the emissions from those vehicles, we can immediately have a positive impact on the air quality. And, and you know, that'll have a beneficial effect on those suffering with with asthma as well as just the general health of, of our communities.
0: as i mean, as you're well aware uh, many European countries have vastly uh, better public transportation systems uh, rail systems specifically that are electrified. do you do you foresee that uh, as, as a potential in this country?
1: Yeah so I have had a chance to uh you know work in Brussels uh you know NATO's base there. The um, EU, um, you know, we've visited the AIEA, the Atomic Energy uh, Agency um, that's in Austria, in Vienna. And, uh, you know, you see the light rail that they've got there. They've really, uh, they've really, I think, transformed their their cities uh, in a way that is much friendlier to bicycles, much friendlier to pedestrians, much more efficient. And, and I think they offer us a model uh, you know, in our area, we we have the earliest rail system in the country, uh, and it shows. Um, I did have an opportunity to do a walkthrough, uh, very concerned about the repairs that are being done on the red line. So uh, I invited um, uh, Senator Keenan and Representative uh, Tacky Chan. Um, and And we requested that the T allow us to observe the Uh, the repairs being done in Quincy. So, uh, but they said you you have to come at two o'clock in the morning when the system shut down. So uh, uh, myself, Senator Keenan and Tacky Chan and, and and Senator Timothy went down into the tunnel uh, a few weeks ago, um, two o'clock in the morning and, uh, and reviewed the repair process going on there at the T it's going to take a while. Let me put it that way. Um, They've got, only a certain number of teams and, and uh, equipment that uh, allows them to realign the tracks to get them back up to the normal rate of speed, which affects delivery service and, and on-time performance. But uh, you know we've we've injected over a billion dollars in federal money just for the T, just for the MBTA to get this thing going. We've got a new head over there. Uh, Phil Lang is is now in as uh, more Healy's uh, general manager at the T, and so um, you know we're, we're judging it day by day. He's got a lot to catch up on, but uh, we we think the money is there. Um, it's just a very old system, and we've got to do a much better job in in on-time performance in order to get people to come back and use use the MBTA rather than driving back and forth uh,
0: to Boston. Can we talk a little bit, Congressman, about another issue I know you're uh, deeply concerned about is uh, the the banking crisis uh, in this country and uh, you know the recent collapse of of several major banks and uh, federal regulation of those going forward.
1: Yeah, so Silicon Valley Bank uh, you know basically went went broke. Um, they had a very poor uh, risk management program. They did not have a risk management officer. Uh, for almost nine months before they went under, um, they did some things that were not normal for for banks to do. They created great risk. I honestly, I think they were trying to do the right thing. Um, you know, we've done an investigation of them, and it, it, you know, I think they were perhaps too concentrated on startups, uh, early stage startups that do need funding, right? However, those are also the riskiest business. Those had the greatest level of failure. So they were concentrated in a high risk area. Um, they also um, did not change their reserve mix, their, their deposit mix um, uh, to, to meet the, the rising interest rates that were, were happening uh, at the federal level. So uh, many depositors who, you know, Maybe a couple of years ago, were happy when we had a low interest rate. They were very happy to put their deposits in in uh, Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, When rates started going up elsewhere, all of a sudden there was competition. So people were much more likely to uh, to save their to to use this deposit their savings elsewhere. They would get a higher return. So it caused a a run. Plus, you know, we had some incidents where um, where Silicon Valley Bank actually. Um, You know the the level of their deposits just plummeted, and so people got nervous. They were they were not confident that that uh, that their deposits would be safe because only up to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars is secured by FDIC insurance. So if you have your 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 deposits at a at a local FDIC bank um, in Quincy, the first two hundred fifty thousand dollars is protected by federal insurance FDIC. However, anything beyond that is exposed to loss. And so you had companies uh, that had several million dollars. And so only $250,000 of that was protected. So they ran, they ran, they pulled their money out and it caused a spiral in that bank and it went out of business. So uh, so where the federal government stepped in, FDIC stepped in and said, all right, we're going to cover everybody's deposits. Don't worry, don't run. And that... Basically, settle things down, but not in time to save SVB Bank or, or a couple of the other banks that were caught up in
0: that same dynamic. So, does that FDIC uh, insurance limit need to be reassessed and raised?
1: Yeah, uh, it, it, it it does. Uh, I know they're they're considering that right now. We had uh, Martin Grunberg, who's the chair of the FDIC, come in uh, and and visit the district. We explained the impact. That it had on the our local area because you had a lot of people from Quincy and and uh, Boston that had deposits invested and companies that they did a lot of uh, affordable housing. Uh, Silicon Valley Bank they were great on on building affordable housing. They funded a lot of that, and so all those projects you know became at risk uh, because of the failure of the bank. So the successor bank has stepped up, and we're having negotiations right now. Uh, about making sure that all the affordable housing projects that are going forward uh, will still be secure. So uh, we're doing that right now.
0: I think, as I recall, part of the problem, too, was the bank's investment in cryptocurrency, if you will. Um, you know, Is that something that the federal government needs to look at more closely? Yeah,
1: definitely. Uh, I, I'm, I'm sort of, somewhat of a crypto skeptic myself. Uh, I've seen the loss, the tremendous losses, uh, FTX failure, millions and millions of people uh, who put their money in that bank. Fortunately, 98% of them, because of the laws we have here, 98% of the people that lost money in FTX when it failed, um, you know, it was a crypto exchange. uh, They were from outside the country. Only 2% of, of the investors, because we have such strict rules here. So that's a a lesson to us. And I think a a proof positive that that proper regulation can protect consumers. But uh, we've got a a market structure, a crypto market structure bill, digital asset market structure bill that's coming up. Uh, We're having a a hearing on it. We have a markup today. We have a a round table on it today at three o'clock with my Republican colleagues. We're going to talk through the bill. Uh, I've got some problems with it, but... Um, And then there's going to be a markup with amendments uh, uh, probably next Wednesday. So it's a timely, timely uh, topic to talking about. I'm nervous. I'm nervous about uh, the lack of security. I'm nervous about the impact that it'll have uh, on the traditional um, financial system that we have here. It's the envy of the world, right? So we have a, the reason people want to, save in dollars and that we are the reserve currency for the globe is that people trust our banking system they know that if something happens they can go to court they'll be protected we have rule of law and that's not the way a lot of countries operate so that's why from all over the world you know the dollar the dollar is the the highest standard because we have people trust us and uh cryptocurrency you know as Tom Brady found out uh to the tune of 30 million dollars the poor guy well not a poor guy but uh, he lost out 30 million dollars and God knows what he's paying in, in uh legal fees uh to defend his own advocacy on behalf of uh, crypto uh a lot of people lost a lot of money uh unfortunately uh with crypto it hasn't been proven there's no big use case right now it's just speculation it's hype And so, um, look, if you want to speculate on something, look at AI, something that has, you know, the potential uh, out there. Um, Crypto has been around for, let's say, 2008, I think it first came on the scene with uh, Nakamoto uh, Satoshi, uh, uh, you know, Satoshi Nakamoto coming out with his uh, his white paper. But uh, they still haven't found other than trading back and forth. uh, And you can do that with anything. There's no been there's been no real use case um, uh, for for crypto other than trading crypto, right? And so um, you know there there are some real uh, structural problems with uh, with uh, the crypto systems that are out there right now.
0: Something that's uh, you know impacting uh, the globe right now is inflation, and uh, I know that the Inflation Reduction Act is now in effect. Do you feel that it's working?
1: I'm not sure it's that plan. Uh, you know that that act it certainly helped, but I, I think the the Fed you know based on the last couple of reports on inflation, it's coming back down into the normal range. So I think it's what they're doing. You know, raising interest rates incrementally. Um, I think there's probably a couple more raises left uh, on in terms of uh, the fed before they, they taper off. But uh, I think it's been the management by the fed uh, that has, has caused uh, inflation to, to recede. Um, at least that seems to be the patent. So, so far so good and get it, get us back into the normal range um, food prices, especially, you know, I, I shop, you know, down at Quincy, down at the the superstoppant shop down there. And uh dear Lord, you know, it's just uh I you know, it, it you see the markup and some of that supply chain, you know, um, and some of it is not. So um, kind of but all all I know is that the prices have gone up considerably over the last, I'd say two and a half, three years.
0: It's great point too, is, I mean, are there regulations, federal regulations regarding price gouging, you know, and, and uh, surge pricing, if you will, and, and, and what can be done to look into that make sure that's not occurring? Yeah, there's a lack of competition
1: uh, that, that allows uh, these supermarkets that, you know, serve a big area, like, like in Quincy, um, it gives them power. Uh, People don't have a lot of choices, Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I've asked to have someone look at, you know, there are other areas where we felt gouging was going on, um, you know, fuel supply, uh, gas prices, things like that. We looked very closely at that. Um, I got a briefing from the Department of Labor that did an extensive study on on fuel prices and they, they, were, uh, they confirmed that there was gouging going on. Um, many of that stems from offshore uh, 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 sourcing but uh, so in response i said you know what what about food can you do a study on that so uh they said we have one on, under underway uh, but the results aren't avail- available yet but i would not be surprised if they felt that there was some gouging going on and, and uh you know producers uh, taking advantage of, of
0: the um uh, you know the the lack of supply out there you know um do you feel congressman that uh, we've Pretty much bounced back in terms of the pandemic now, uh, both with the, you know society and the economy. I, I'm hopeful. You know, I still hear cases. Uh, you know, we we stay very
1: close with with our health centers and our hospitals. Uh, we've got a great network of uh, uh, men at community health center does a great job down in Quincy, and uh, they're they're incredible. I was just down there uh, not not too long ago uh, for a walkthrough. Um, they're still seeing a few cases here and there, but but not nearly uh what we're seeing before. But I, I think it's, you know, for those people that have a vulnerability, um, you know, I, I think it's you know advisable if you have that vulnerability, um, you should wear a mask uh when when appropriate. If you're in a big crowded area, you know, take reasonable precautions. But but we are not anywhere near the uh the craziness that we we were seeing during the pandemic. Even for some of our larger hospitals, uh, if you go—I you know, was at the Mass General uh, doing a walkthrough pretty soon at, at New England Medical Center as well. Um, it's optional; masks are optional at the hospital. so that's a, that's a good indicator that the the concerns have been uh, mitigated somewhat.
0: Sure. Can I ask you a little bit about the, uh, I guess, Plan B for the uh, the federal student loan uh, forgiveness program? Uh, price tag now, I guess, about thirty-nine billion dollars um is this something you support
1: yeah so this new plan that the president's got is um you know it's much much different the original one would have covered tens of millions of people um and uh and this this new one that he's got uh less than a million people and the 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 borrowers who would be helped in the president's new plan um would be those who were um in plans there are four plans that uh student loan assistance plans that target uh low income people people that are struggling or meet certain income guidelines that you know they're working families they, they you know they're not from uh you know high income families so i think there are 840,000 people in that cohort that would be helped by the president's plan as you know the the original plan that the president put out there Uh, Was ruled uh, unconstitutional and and uh, struck down by by the court, Um, and you know that was because they used a premise of the Heroes Act, which is a bill we had passed before, but um, the 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 court said it was overly broad and that it had to be specifically authorized by Congress. This plan, the eight hundred forty thousand, is built basically on those programs, those four programs. And the specific congressional intent is being followed uh, by the president in this instance. So I think it, it will be challenged the, even this 840 thousand people low income uh, you know working class families that are being helped I think there'll be a challenge to that. Uh, my Republican colleagues uh, do not want the money going out for that purpose and so um, it'll be challenged in court but I think it will survive because it is it has a a, a good foundation. And, and as I said before, it it, it already has, um, it matches up well with the congressional intent for those four uh, student loan programs. Yeah, it, it, do you support it yourself? I do, I do. The
0: president's current plan, yeah, yeah. We can talk a little bit about, um, it's a big topic I know, but um, immigration and uh, reform uh, for folks who want to make residents in, in this country. Has there been any progress on that front?
1: Well, there has, uh, you know, the president has a, a program. Well, right now, the the plan in place is the remain in Mexico program. So, um, they did not see the big surge of people coming after uh, the the pandemic uh, uh, protocols were were ended. Uh, there was a prediction that you know uh, millions and millions of people are going to come over the border in a big rush. They did not see that. Uh, I, I, I obviously I've been down to the border many, many times. I've gone to Nicaragua, Honduras, uh, and El Salvador, uh, Guatemala, uh, to look at the situation there and, and try to understand what the push factor is in those countries. But uh, so the since the president has uh, reinstituted the Remain in Mexico uh, program, we haven't seen uh you know obviously we haven't seen the numbers that we saw previously when when I had been down there, so um so that that's a good thing um that we're not seeing the pressure, and there seems to be we're we're under greater control um we have had five hundred thousand uh immigrants come in legally under the president's parole program uh but most of those most of those 500,000 uh, were from two countries, uh, Ukraine, because of the the war, and um, you know I think they came originally and thought it was going to be temporary. But as the war has gone on, they're they're largely from areas that are that are under under siege, and it's not safe to go back. Uh, so we saw a lot of them just say, "Look, after after a couple of years, um, you know." Would would like to apply for U.S. citizenship. Many of them had families here. A lot of the refugees coming out of Ukraine, and I, you know, I've traveled extensively there uh, during the conflict. Most of them have simply relocated to Poland, Romania, other other countries in the EU, staying closer to home, so that in the event that that peace is achieved there or victory is achieved by the Ukrainians, that they'll be able to return. But uh, so so that group and also Afghanistan uh, you know because of the number of people that were helpful to the U.S that that assisted U.S troops that um, you know were trusted partners. Uh, so those two those two countries were responsible for the lion's share of uh, of new immigrants that were were taken in.
0: I always like to ask you, Congressman, uh, the the temperature, the climate uh, of the uh, bipartisanship uh, <laughs> rapport between uh, <laughs> Republicans and Democrats in Washington. Has it, has it gotten any better, would you say? Is it uh, about the same? Has it gotten worse? It's bad. It's bad. Um, but I
1: would say it's driven more by um, so the Republicans are, are in charge now that, uh, you know, Mr. McCarthy is the speaker. They decide the bills that will Will go forward and what we will argue about um, and what our priorities are, and so unfortunately for Mr. McCarthy, he made deals during his speaker fight uh, to give an enormous amount of power to what's called as the Freedom Caucus. So um, they they are a, a different group. Um, they're not traditional Republicans in my mind. I'm I'm a moderate, so for know for 20 years i've worked with republicans on the other side and tried to figure out okay what's best for america here let's let's try to collaborate you know um it's it's very difficult for those moderate republicans uh, on their side to really have their voices heard uh they're being shouted down uh i think by by the the hard right and and and, you know people who are unstable on their and on their side so um Ukraine uh for instance they they had an amendment the other day that would that would end all assistance to Ukraine including humanitarian in the middle of this war they're fighting for their independence and and the Republicans you know had had uh amendments that would would cut out all all support which would have been a gift to Vladimir Putin right um so you just worry about um uh, people like that um. You know, yesterday the five bills that they put forward, the Republicans, uh, were uh ending the sanctions against uh Syria, uh, you know, uh, allowing trade and, and and uh uh commerce to go forward with some of these regimes in Libya. Uh for Lord's sake, you know, there's terrorist groups there that are fighting back and forth. Um, you know, just Yemen. Uh You know, end the the sanctions there, even though, you know, resources and money would go to, um, you know, groups that have, you know, persecuted uh, civilians and and, and, uh, have horrific uh, human rights records and are a danger to United States troops. We still have troops on the ground in Syria. uh, And I think we would expose them by strengthening uh, their opposition in those countries. So, I don't know it's just different it's different here so I'm I'm hoping that we might get back to a point of equilibrium where we might be able to you know work together uh there's only a 5 vote difference between the number of republicans here and the number of democrats here so you would think with almost equality that it would induce us to work together uh but that has not been the case you know and um you know with uh with what's going on with the former president uh President Trump and his trials and tribulations, uh, you know, a lot of that feeds into what's going on here uh, in, in, in Congress, unfortunately.
0: Anything else uh, you'd like to let folks here in the district to know about right now, Congressman?
1: Just, I, I just want to say how lucky I am, uh, you know, how fortunate I am to represent the city of Quincy and my entire district. I've got, you know, I've got Boston, Quincy, Brockton, and then I've got like 18 towns. Well, as I said, going all the way from the north end of Boston and all the way down to Hingham and and uh you know I'm blessed. I, I have a, a a great district.' Um, we're, we're working on some issues we we've got to make sure our seniors so there's been a lot of change positive changes uh, for our seniors in terms of caps on insulin prices and things like that you know that that uh, that were great for seniors. Uh, we've got some retroactive benefits coming out for our veterans that we've got to talk about. Uh, you know, there's a deadline of August 9th. So this is a timely opportunity. You know, our veterans need to pay attention to that. And we'll be communicating with our veteran service officers all across the district to make sure people are aware of that. Uh, but uh, it's an honor for me to represent the city of Quincy every day in the United States Congress. You've got a great, great delegation, a great mayor. You've got a great city council, uh, I have wonderful personal relationships with all of them, and uh you know, I'm just uh, very fortunate and uh, you know i I try every single day to to live up to the highest expectations of the people of Quincy. You know, they have a wonderful uh, history and and uh, there's no more patriotic city in the in the country uh, than I mean four fourth of July parades, I was only able to do. Um, squarn them because I got all these towns, So I, I run around and do all the different parades, but Quincy had four of them, you know, the ones, the little one around the rotary, but um, you know, I was able to march with uh, Mayor Koch and uh, the Quincy delegation, uh, 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 Mike Bellotti, uh, my, my great, great, great pal, uh, love him um, and, and the entire delegation. So very fortunate
0: thank you very much for your time uh, today and uh, look forward to seeing you in the district in the near future. You as well, Joseph. Thank you. Be well.